Hello, everyone, and <laughs> welcome to another episode of Happy to Meet Cute. As usual, Courtney and I are both mid laughter <laughs> as the recording thing is counting down because that's how we roll. Super profesh over here. <laughs> um, uh, this is Fallon Ballard. Who am I? Yes, that's me. And <laughs> I am here with my fantabulous co host, Courtney K. How are you doing today, my friend? I think I'm good. <laughs> so like what happened a couple weeks ago is the countdown wasn't counting down and it would just plop us into live recording. And now whenever the countdown goes on, we're waiting like, <laughs> to see what it's going to do. But anyway, <laughs> do you ever get a feeling of stage fright when it goes live? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not usually when it's just you and me, but like when we have, especially when with some of the guests that we have coming up, <laughs> I have that moment of like pure terror in the beginning for sure. You know, the countdown always, the countdown makes it worse. <laughs> it does. It's like, ha you have five seconds remaining. <laughs> I know. It's so funny oh because God. I was a choir kid and um, I was so terrified of being on stage and singing and I would still go for the solos and every time I regretted it I just (laughs) felt like okay this is a time I'm gonna shine and I'm gonna not feel nervous oh my god oh I think back on those times in terror (laughs) yeah isn't it amazing too like I I feel like the older I got like the more stage fright I had Because I used to act a lot when I was a kid, not in anything ever good, just, you know, like school plays and stuff, not anything big. But then like, just the more I learned and the more experience I got, I was like, I think I'm meant for backstage life. (laughs) Oh, oh, wow. There's so much there that I'm like, (laughs) I don't know, like just society that. I don't know. I think it's like, especially when you hit those teenage years and you just become aware of how much people are judging you all the time. Mm -hmm. That's when it like really becomes not as fun. I know. Right. Yeah. But that's serious. I didn't mean it to be like a total downer. No, no. I love that. We just like jumped into those conversations, but um, it makes me think like now we're both writers Yes. But we also feel very comfortable talking with other writers. I think, you know, that when I do events and when I do things, oh my God, I always get nervous. Like I always have this thought, you know, my worst thought, (laughs) what if I throw up? No, no. Like every single time I have that thought, because my anxiety (laughs) makes my stomach like flutter and get anxious. And like, I was like, what if I'm going to be sick in front of these people? (laughs) No, you always do such a good job. Ah, you always do such a good job. But I guess my point is kind of like choir doing things that we love with other people Mm. is so much better. And like you just kind Mm. of relax into the conversation, like like we do here or like we do in conversation in events. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely always get nerves. And I actually, I think I get more nerves when I'm like 
the sort of host of the conversation at live events. Like when it's me, when it's my books we're talking about, I'm like, that's fine. Like, I don't know. I guess it's maybe because I know what to expect, you know, like I know the questions that are going to be asked. I know how to talk about my book. I've been doing it a bunch at that point. So it doesn't feel like that hard, but I always feel like there's pressure when you're hosting somebody else's event because I'm like, I just don't want to like mess it up for them. Like I want it to be exactly what they want it to be. And like, that feels like a lot of pressure sometimes. Yeah. I feel the exact same way. And I'm usually texting. I think I've texted you before. Like, what if I fuck this (laughs) up? And you're like, you'll be fine. And then somebody, um, I think it was Emma A. Wardell said something so nice to me. Cause I think I texted him before your event. I'm like, I don't want to fuck this up for Fallon. And he was like, um, the fact that you care shows mm-hmm. that you won't. <laughs> like, that's really that's so true. That's a wonderful thing to say. Yes. Because if you stumble on a word or if you forget a question, like, that's not going to fuck it up. Are you, that's not yeah. going to mess it up. Totally. Well, you know, we're not reciting lines. It's right. just a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Also, that event that we did at Meet Cute was so much fun. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. It was basically like, it felt like a live episode of the podcast. Like, that's what it felt like, which was amazing. It did. It did. And I, yeah. throughout my whole, um, I, I say author career very loosely, <laughs> <laughs> but since I started like pitch wars, when I started mentoring, um, I pushed myself to do the pitch wars lives where they ask the mentor mm. questions. I pushed myself to do like um, podcasts and panels on virtual events when virtual events were all we could do because I was terrified. I was yeah. like, well, I better just try it now and start getting used to it. And it's like, the more you do That's it, smart. the more you get used to it. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. And now here we are total pros. (laughs) Got all our shit together all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Actually that leads into what I wanted to talk about, which was um, mental health awareness month, which I think when this pubs, it won't be anymore, but Hey, it's mental health. It will be life right oh it will be it it will be yeah you're good (laughs) see we have it all together over here yeah (laughs) um oh my god okay so on today is a day that I work from home and so I was working on my day job and I was like making my coffee and I was starting to feel like I was forgetting things I was like oh I haven't taken my pill yet and then I realized I don't have any more pills (laughs) So I had to rush down to CVS and get my pills. And as I'm like getting, I'm like, I dropped my credit card down the seat. Like I couldn't pay. And then I'm like, okay, well, at least I have another credit card. I almost dropped that credit card. I'm like, please give me my pill. Hurry up. (laughs) You're like, look, the situation is dire over here. Just to paint the scene, I was in my bathrobe. Like I'm showered. I'm, and the person who was helping me had like awesome tattoos. So I got very distracted by the tattoos, forgot like my birth date. (laughs) (laughs) 
god. And so I'm pulling up into my driveway after this whole show and I'm like in my bathroom. And I looked like, you know, that author character in the Princess Diaries who sits on their front porch. <laughs> this is who I embodied. And I'm like pulling out all, you know, the fucking CVS receipts that are a mile long, like dragging out of my passenger seat door, dropped my second credit card, like trying to find it in this. Oh, Gordon. <laughs> So I took my pill, I drank my coffee, I showered, here I am. Okay. (laughs) Thank God (laughs) for this goddamn pill. But the whole reason actually that led me to forget that I forgot to renew my pill was um, I was thinking about author events and the Mm -hmm. podcast. And I was like, I don't think that I would have ever attempted any of this without being on my anxiety medication. Like, Mm -hmm. I think this medication has changed my life. I take like a very small pill of serotonin every day. And I think sometimes the lesser of my panic, the lessening of my panic attacks has heightened (laughs) that I probably have like some form of ADHD. Yeah. Um, Because the panic is not there, but like other things are more prevalent. And I'm like, okay, well, so my point was, it's really good to take care of yourself. And yes, I have now taken a lot of our time talking about this. <laughs> no, that's important though. And that's good. You know, I love that you are so open about that. And I think that it's always good for, you know, listeners to hear that we're real people and going through real things. And sometimes we need <laughs> real drugs. Sometimes you're in your bathrobe at CVS <laughs> and drive through. <laughs> dropping your credit card um it's those moments when you need to be grateful that you're a book celebrity and not like a real life celebrity i mean people recognize you at the la times book festival but you can still go to your cvs in your bathrobe and be okay with it (laughs) little do you know i planted those people there (laughs) at the book festival to be like carmen i'm kidding (laughs) What if I had family members all around (laughs) just to, like, cause a scene? No, I love that for you. Next time. (laughs) Please tell me about you. Um, Okay, so I am now devastated because the second season of Schmigadoon finished last week. And I'm so sad because it was, like, the highlight of my Tuesdays. And I'm just obsessed with the show. Um... The first season inspired book four. So you will definitely see Schmigadoon vibes in book four. But I just loved how they, because after the first season ended, I was like, how could they even do another season of the show? And just the way that they moved into like a later period of musicals turning it into Chicago instead of Schmigadoon. It was just, it was so brilliant. Everybody's performances in this season are just like mind-blowingly good. 
And it's definitely like the era of musicals, you know, like the Chicago movie came out when I was in high school. So that was huge for the musical theater nerds, um, which is, you know, everyone I hung out with. Oh, I'll Um, never forget. Roxy Hart. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so good. And I, um, A Chorus Line is like one of the first shows that I became like truly obsessed with when I was like way too young to be listening to the of course mm-hmm. guest recording which is you know not really appropriate there's a whole <laughs> song called tits and ass that i would run around singing when i was like 10 or 11 which is you know not great but... <laughs> um so just like the vibes like that sort of era of musical theater is just like i just love it so much and i just thought the whole thing was so amazing and i'm very sad that it's over now because it was only six episodes. And I was like, guys, this is not enough. I just, I need to be in musical land for much longer than that. That's very, very small. I mean, I'm sure the production of a show like that is very intense and takes Mm -hmm. a lot of money and effort and time and all of that. You know, they're writing all this new music, but I've been listening to the soundtrack and it's just so good. I just love it so much. I love them. And Aaron Tveit's in it, you know, oh. my, boy, my musical theater boyfriend. So, mm-hmm. so good. Everybody's so good. They're all just so good this season. Oh my God. I have not been able to watch it because of the different streaming services, yes. but I already know I'm like obsessed with it. Just even yeah. the premise and the trailers I've seen brings back so much like high school musical theater choir kid joy maybe when we um since we're rooming together at steamy lit con maybe we'll watch it like maybe that'll be like our our break time we'll go back to the room and watch Megadoon. oh my god yes just like wrap the big comforter around us (laughs) and be like be quiet time (laughs) totally um okay we have an amazing episode today we are talking with uh debut author becky chelson who is just a freaking delight i love her so much um and we have some really good conversations um in particular about the book to movie process which i'm sure to all you writers out there will be very interesting um and we also talk about daisy jones and the six and lots of other fun stuff so Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. We will be right back with Becky. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute. We have an amazing guest here with you today. Oh, my God. I should have totally asked you this before we started recording. I want to make sure I say your last name right. <laughs> um, but we have Becky. Is it Chelson? Yeah, perfect. Nailed it. (laughs) We have Becky Chelson here with us today. Becky is a novelist living in New York City, growing up with one older brother and three quadruplet sisters. Holy moly. Becky has long found sanctuary in stories. One might even call it a namesake. While she is the only one of her sisters to not share a name with a little woman character, she was named after Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, her mother's favorite book, and my favorite Shirley Temple movie when I was growing up. Love that. Uh, When not writing, Becky works as a film TV development executive at the production company Sunday Night. She's a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, where she studied history and English. 
Becky is married to her high school sweetheart, an identical twin. And yes, if Becky read a story about a quadruplet married to a twin who she met in kindergarten, she would also say feels a bit unrealistic. (laughs) That's why true life is better than fiction, right? Becky, welcome to the show. We are so excited to chat with you today. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm so excited. Of course. We are so thrilled. And uh, yeah, when I was just reading your bio yesterday, I was doing prep for the show. I was like, oh my God, a quadruplet. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but um, God bless your I know my mom. And it's the kind of thing where like, as you get older, you, I start to appreciate it more and more because some of my friends have started to have kids and they'll text me during pregnancy and right as they've had the baby, like just thinking about your mom. <laughs> okay, great. I'll pass it along. <laughs> Yes. It's crazy. It's uh, crazy. And we have my... one older brother. He like misses the cut sometimes, but he he's two okay. years older than us. And so five under two. Good I um wow. I am the older sister. Uh my brother and sister are twins, which obviously what? not nearly as as wild as quadruplets. Um but yeah, it just is like I I only have one child. And I still am like, I don't understand how my mother survived. Like, I don't know how she made it through. It's chaos. It's so chaotic. I think at a certain point, though, it was fun to have like built-in playmates. And so we could sort of entertain ourselves once you're capable of that. You're not like running into furniture. You have built-in friends to go outside and play with and entertain ourselves for days. Um, Yeah. yeah, And then now it's like amazing because there's just so many of us to fall back on and to take care of people when they're sick and like we're always sort of around we all live in New York City together and it's uh yeah it's such a blessing but I hated it growing up because I always like wanted a little bit more attention I didn't like matching clothes with my sisters I was a diva and so I hated it until I turned like 18 and then I loved it well oh and gosh. it seems like it served as amazing inspiration for your debut novel Kismet with your um, your twin sisters in here, right? Amy and Joe. Yes. Yes. I had to name Amy the main character's name because of the Little Women-ish drama that I bring to everything was that I was the only one not included in our Little Women names. My, <laughs> the story behind that is that my, when my parents found out they were having quadruplets, they, the doctor said it was two boys and two girls. And so they only came to the hospital with two girl names prepared, Rebecca, or Rebecca Sunnybrook Farms, and Margaret, which is a, a family name. And then we were born. I always say, too, I was the third born. And so the first thing I ever heard in the world was, what the hell? It's another girl. Like, Welcome, <laughs> Becky. Like, here we go. So rude. <laughs> and then my parents, and then it was a fourth girl, and my mom was recovering, and they sort of rapidly named uh Joanna and Elizabeth at to the like the rest of the of the group and then months later my mom realized oh no what have we done like it's three <laughs> of the four March sisters and poor Becky is left alone but I feel like I've always sort of used that as my own calling card to like be the one that's different and do something different and um yeah I think I've made it part of my personality for better or for worse <laughs> so fun that. And actually, I my question to you was, were the names inspired by Little Woman? And it sounds like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> In a big way. Yeah. And then hope, yeah. Now I just have to write a second book for Maggie and Lizzie, my other sisters. They're like, what the hell? Why'd you pick Joe? 
<laughs> you know what? Leave me alone. <laughs> I'll write another. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, could you kind of tell us a little bit about what the book is about and kind of like your inspiration behind it? It is just like the perfect summer beach read. Mm-hmm. So tell us all about it. Thank you. So Kismet is a story following two twin sisters. Our narrator, Amy, is attending her twin sister, Joe's wedding week in Kismet, which is a real town off the coast of Long Island. Fire Island has like 17 different small beach communities on this one island, and you can only get there by taking a ferry. There's no cars allowed. And so it means there's also sort of no rules as everybody is kind of just like long days on the beach, long nights out, bands come to the bars and it feels very casual and close knit. And so in Kismet, uh, Joe is getting married in Kismet Fire Island, their family beach town. And there's just some, you know, drama that ensues. It's the whirlwind wedding. It's the twins 30th birthday, the 4th of July, all the drama threw right in. Um, But when we meet Amy as she's on the ferry and heading to the wedding, we realize that something has gone wrong and she's sort of dealing with probably what's the first, what's the first thing that's not been according to her plan. She's married her high school sweetheart. She made partner. She's got a house. She's doing all the things that she always thought she should do by 30. And then she's just suffered this loss. And so she's not really sure how to deal with it. She's already kind of riddled with doubts. And then when she gets to Fire Island, she finds herself face to face with sort of her version of the one that got away. The only boy that she's ever had feelings for other than her high school sweetheart turned husband. Um, They had met when they were in college, her and this new mystery man, Emmett. uh, They met when when Amy was on a break with Ben, her husband, um, and now he's here. And so what follows is one week over the course, the lead up to the wedding, the lead up to the 4th of July with fun, you know, wedding celebrations and family activities, but also a lot of secrets and drama and um, yeah, heartache, but also some heartwarming moments that conspire towards the end. So yeah, that's um, pretty much the gist of, of Gizmet, I'd say. <laughs> the inspiration was, I was, it was, I wrote this book during the pandemic. It was summer of 2020. I'd always read for work. I work in book to film development and I always was reading a lot. I call, consider myself a reader first and foremost. Um, but I had this new free time because my husband was getting his MBA on Saturdays was always the plan. Like in May, 2020, he was going to enroll and begin the Saturday executive MBA program. And then of course it was the pandemic. And so his classes were remote. And so he was home. Um, and I took like 11 minutes of statistics with him, like the first class <laughs> Saturday. And I was like, this is so boring. I'm my eyes are like glazing <laughs> over. Maybe I'll try and write a book instead. And it was truly like that. And so for six months, he was home in school. And I, on Saturday mornings, like we would go onto our computers. He would go to class, go to class in air quotes. And I would say I would go to Kismet and write my book. And at first I started writing like a thriller because I work in film and thrillers sell and feel very like moody. And I was like, everyone wants a thriller. And I found it so depressing to be writing because it was very dark (laughs) and it was sort of like culty and the world was so stressful and uncertain. And then I, my Saturdays were like this very moody were a doc. And I just quickly said, no, I think I want to write something that always brings me joy, which is women's fiction and contemporary romance and something that felt 
um, much more of like an escape. And so from there, Kismet began. I started writing it in June 2020, um, actually like on the ferry to Fire Island for the first time we went out that summer with my husband's family. And the first few paragraphs of the book just like popped into my head. And so I wrote those as soon as I got the got to the house. And then I took a step back and started out outlining the rest of the book because I am nothing if not a planner. Um, and then, yeah, just it, I just loved the process from there. And I just knew I wanted to write a book about twin sisters and a wedding and, uh, and this beach town that I've gone to my whole life and always loved. And all of it sort of just fell out with such ease and excitement because it was always something that was supposed to be something for joy and something that was fun, uh, a fun part of my week versus like a job. Oh, I love that. I love and that. And I can too. totally see how writing this book during that time of the pandemic when things were like still pretty bleak totally. um, was like a nice escape and like a little mental vacation. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. And in my day job, we read a lot more. Like I work in, for a production company and so we do thrillers or action or grounded sci-fi and so it was and I love those stories too it was really fun to be able to then get to my Saturdays and just talk about a love story or a family drama or something that felt really emotional and romantic and sweeping Uh, I think kept it something that I enjoyed doing too versus something I felt like I had to do Mm -hmm. and I think I think uh Fallon you drafted yours during yeah, right around that same time. Me too. Yeah. We all had our yeah. little contemporary <laughs> we known each other. Yeah. yeah. I just needed to go break in some way and to find happiness somewhere. And it was fun to sort of not, it's interesting because the silver lining of the pandemic, it sounds like you guys were in the same boat. Was, I was very lucky that I had the stability to focus on myself for writing and Mm -hmm. Zach and I always say to my husband Zach like we had been married in September 2019 so we weren't even doing like a zoom reschedule wedding or the stress of that or Mm -hmm. I had a friend too who in early summer 2020 we had met and I she was like the only person I told outside of my immediate family that I was writing a book and she was like oh me too I want to write a novel during COVID I was like yes let's do it together and then when we announced that we sold Kismet she was like oh you actually you actually did that. Like I like met, she's like, I met my boyfriend and we fell in love and now we're engaged. And I was like, yes, that's also like so important. If not more important, I was just in this really weird, like all a collision course of having the, you know, the privilege of having kind of checked off a lot of my personal and professional buckets, like had job security that I was able, and you know, my family was healthy that I could be like, all right, everybody like going off the map for like six months. Like Mm -hmm. I won't see you anymore on weekends. I'm just going to focus on myself for a bit and see how we're, I can't even imagine if you have a happy family. I know you have a kid. Like I just, yeah, it was a really weird amount of that ability and the awareness to the whole time of being like, this is such a privilege to be able to do this. Um, mm. But I always wanted to just have fun with it too, because I think I was aware of how lucky I was during it. If that makes mm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was like, um, because I was writing Lease on Love at that point, which takes place in New York, and I live in LA. Um, and I've said before, it was like, it, like, I needed it. Like, I needed that time every day to go be in another place that was not yeah. my house. Totally. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah like, I, yeah. I really needed that 
time, even though obviously I wasn't physically in New York, like I needed to be somewhere other than stuck in my living room with my child while he was doing distance learning. And it was like, you know, the worst thing ever. I was like, I need something good. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. And now you get to celebrate it. How has your, um, lot, how has your launch month been? Cause it just came out this month, right? In April. Yes. Yes. We're on, we're on day seven right now. Uh, Yeah. April 18th, the book came out. It's been amazing. I, I don't know what I thought would happen. I I think I had been very prepared that it would not, that I wouldn't see the book anywhere or it would be, you know, whatever it was. And so on the day of the pub day, my agent's husband was like, do you feel like you're a different person now? And I was like, no, I'm not. Like I'm the same person. Like I was very prepared to be, you know, and you think like worst case always and just reminding yourself how lucky you are to be able to do this and to have healthy, to have health, you know, and healthy family members and healthy friends. Um, and then it's just been amazing because then to actually see the book in bookstores and to have readers message me that they're loving the book and all of the things that I sort of dreamt of happening, you're like, oh, okay, this is amazing. But I'm I'm glad that I still sort of built in the the pre-pub foundation of just like gratitude and without sounding so cheesy, but that like being so aware. It's been um so yeah, it's been wonderful to be able to get to go. We did like a little tour uh, to Philly and to Westchester and we're going to LA. I'm going to have to check you guys. We are actually supposed to be in LA tomorrow. I was supposed to be heading on a flight after this podcast, but instead we actually had a loss in my family. My great uncle passed away at the end of the middle last week. Oh, and so having those sorry. moments in life where it's like, so that's okay. Thank you. It's like where it's so high celebrations but then also such loss and sadness I think it put everything in perspective too which is just you know again like how grateful I am to be able to like be on the zoom with you guys and like do all of the fun things and then also still have my family and my cousins and all his my uncle's wife his widow all came to the event on Sunday still as like a bright spot and so it was sort of also Mm -hmm. felt like a nice um like do you need to like have this bright spot that I could bring to my family too and so it's just been yeah so it's been a weird week an amazing week a sad week all the emotions I feel like this publishing in general is every emotion all the time too so I sort of prepared not that I ever would have thought it would come uh, play out like this but if we know anything from being authors now I feel like it's you're you're kind of ready for anything um so it's been so yeah my long answer to your short question is that (laughs) going okay well thanks for sharing all that yeah I think I have said on this podcast before but I have never um I don't want to say abused but I have never relied on my therapist as much as I did like the first like few weeks before debut because I literally I was like you're in a tailspin like it emotionally it can be very very tough to get through yeah it's so it's like so makes me feel relieved to hear you say that too, and you guys are authors I look up to so greatly. Your books are so amazing and wonderful. But it is, I think, that process of like being judged. Like when you get that first, not that I read my Goodreads, but like a first like negative <laughs> review and you're like, I respect reader spaces, like all of it. Like I know that like you don't have to be for everybody, like of course, but it's that first time where you're being sort of judged separately from you and that that level of thick skin where I always thought I was like, oh yeah, like I can take it. Like I'm tough 
one, like I worked in LA, like Hollywood bosses, like no one can stop me. And then you're like, oh, got it. Just a different feeling. Cause you know, cause it's not like to like, oh, well, Becky, they thought you were mean or like you, they thought you, they didn't agree with something that you said. It's like, nope, waste of time. And you're like, got it. Like, <laughs> I'm going to move well <laughs> through that one. But I think it's so, um, it's such a, like a good skill to have because I think it makes your like mental toughness so much stronger. And again, that's what we've talked about. Sorry to be so bleak, but like that perspective of what really matters and the people like in your real life that you can count on. And that mm-hmm. sort of can segue myself back into my book is like something I really wanted to explore with Amy and Kismet was when things feel rocky and you have doubt, the lesson Amy learns is something I find myself having to learn time and time again as someone who's my anxiety language. That's the thing is always sort of turning inwards and kind of shutting down and not counting on the people I have and very much thinking like, oh, well, I can handle this myself. When in reality, that's when you're supposed to lean on the people that you've built relationships with and trust that the foundation is there to kind of cast you. And so that's what I took Amy through and her, yeah, sorry, Amy, but in kismet of bringing her down so that she has to relearn like, oh, her sisters and her family and her husband, all of these relationships she's put the work into in that happily ever after is what what she can come through and always find herself coming back to when things get tough. And I feel, so I feel like as authors, we sort of deal, deal with that too. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that, um, well, one, I will say, at least for me, I won't speak for everybody's experience, of course, but it has definitely gotten easier as I've gotten further along. It was definitely easier with book two than it was with book one. Like that's for sure. Um, And I think just the more that you are around other authors and talk with other authors, it's just like, it's such a unique experience um, what you go through and the more that you can sort of build that community and lean on each other is just like, it is so essential because nobody understands it the way that we do. And so when you find that group of people where you're just like, okay, these are my people, <laughs> like they yeah. truly understand these whirlwind emotions I'm going through. It's essential. I it. And I feel yeah. like that's been like the most surprising uh, element of having Kismet being published this past year is finding that author community, which is so kind and so supportive. And I love meeting new people and like making pretend coworkers, especially in being an author which is such an isolating job it's like I pretend everybody is my colleague now because now you guys are too like we're in it and it's just <laughs> the most fun so we again like and one of those moments where again like this is it would be a life I said I always dreamed of being an author it was never something I thought people could do I always read books I don't know why I ever it was, I had the same process with television like my brother went to Hollywood first like he to work as a screenwriter who still lives in LA and the second I realized like, oh, wait, what? You're like working for a writer who like makes the show and that's something we can do. And I don't have to like go to law school. Like what? Like it was such a crazy <laughs> light bulb moment. And then I had the exact same thought again, like even just, you know, when I started writing Kismet, like, oh, I could write a book instead of just reading them all the time and loving them and having them like change my DNA as a reader. <laughs> and so I loved this part of getting to meet so many authors like you guys where it's at once you're like, oh wow, someone who understands what I'm going through. And at the same time, it's like total starstruck of like, oh my God, like these people who've been on my shelves forever 
just like commented on my Instagram. I'm like, I'm gonna like <laughs> to go like go for a walk. Like it's unbelievable. It's so much fun. And so I think it's just having that sort of um we're so lucky. Like that's how I always feel about working in film too. It's like so lucky to be able to have no hobbies because my hobbies are my job. And it's like so rare to be able to say that. Um so yeah, I think that's sort of what what's helped me this last year is definitely because it's been for sure. All that anxiety I thought I was avoiding by working in development in the first place as my job choice and then decided to write a book and found all the anxiety that came back in um, was help. That definitely is just meeting with so many nice people. It's crazy how kind people are. Your cat, yeah. I love. Oh, yeah, Sorry, sure I just cat and I'm having an... <laughs> <laughs> full body reaction I'm so desperate for a cat that was in my uh, like pre-pub anxiety a month ago I almost was like Zach and my husband like we're going to the, the Brooklyn cat cafe and we're coming home with the cat like we're done <laughs> and he was like I think you should make this choice after your book comes out so it's not just like emotional stress driven and like a long commitment but now I just keep a list of every cat I see or every person I meet who has a cat so I can get like the evidence to like convince my husband that we should get <laughs> that one and so he said in may we can talk and that's in five days guys so this is helping me courtney thank you the countdown is on so my husband didn't want cats (laughs) um but he loves me very much (laughs) and um it started with one kitty and then our daughter really wanted a cat as well um, that would be more cuddly because star our first kitty is only wants anything to do with me nobody else (laughs) and so my daughter was like I want a cat to cuddle so she got a pick a kitty and that is winter and it ended up working out like so well because winter is the like (laughs) just she's like a puppy cat um but yeah I I, cats are are wonderful as I love as are all animals yeah, you will not regret it in the least. They're just, they've become such good companions, especially like mm-hmm. I work from home a lot. And so it's nice to have animals in the house. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's helping oh me. Gosh. All well, right. And, well, we're um, going to segue a little bit. Um, yeah. You kind of mentioned this in, oh, you're right, Court? I'm good. Can I talk over you? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. You froze a little bit, I think. No, you're good. The wonders of technology. <laughs> um, <laughs> every time. Um, okay, so you mentioned this a little bit in your when you were talking about the book that you basically wrote this like over the course of these Saturdays, writing yeah. on like a pretty strict like timetable, um, which is something I have never been able to do. So I'm really interested in hearing like how that process worked for you and like how you were kind of able to make that work. Yes. Um, I'm have a lot of anxiety (laughs) as a planner, very type a love a plan. And I, I think because I've worked in film and television first too, where like that big outline is such an integral step for how a movie or a show gets made. Like you really Mm -hmm. can't just kind of willy nilly what you're doing. It has, you have to know the ending and, you have to sort of be able to see the broad strokes and then of course find the color on the page, but have those like ten poles in mind. And so I think because of that, it didn't even really cross my mind to not use an outline and use an outline when I was writing the book. I wrote those like first maybe the first page in my head on the ferry 
got to my computer, typed that down, and then paused and like took a step back. And I knew I wanted to write about twin sisters. Uh, I thought I'd write about quadruplets. And then I was like, too many characters. <laughs> this is a monster. <laughs> like, we'll just do Fallon. twins. Yeah. And the just twins. Like, my husband always rolls his eyes. And Fallon, your siblings, too. Yeah. I always am like, try not to mention I'm a quadruplet when I meet twins because I don't need to like make anyone feel less than. Um, but it's been fun. <laughs> and so we've, we've down, downsized the character list to twins. And then I, had read advice once of like every character should have a secret and then when you divulge the secret is sort of how you create tension and propulsion and I liked the idea of using mystery in Kismet because I I wanted the book to to be a a beach read that you read in one sitting or on a plane or um like your one weekend trip and I so I wanted there to be a page turning element to it and so I leaned into the secret idea of, of figuring out when you reveal that um, but then I, the second I was sort of like, well, then of course there'll be a wedding. I had just been, as I said, we got married in September, 2019. And so not that it wasn't the most wonderful day, but it was stressful planning. And I remember having a lot of moments where I was like, I feel like nobody talks about how much group work it is and how like sort of annoying <laughs> the process is. And so I wanted to, I knew I wanted to write about weddings or set along a wedding and then the idea of having it be Joe's actual wedding week was such a solve. And I think as a planner, it was sort of, it almost felt like cheating. I basically was like, if I was Amy and the maid of honor for my sister's wedding, what would I do for the week? And that's how I, you then think about a beach volleyball game, a tour of the lighthouse, and all of these set pieces that felt integral to the plot to not just keep things moving but also to force the characters to be together in these sort of dramatic scenes, which is very like a, a feature trick to these like set, set, um, set pieces um, of like where they have to talk to each other, even if they don't want to. And it was also really fun to think about. My editor was hugely helpful in this too, of like, how do you make the Fire Island background so fun that it, so much sadder for Amy to be missing out on it like at one point she looks out the window and she sees her cousins like on the pool floats like having cocktails in the afternoon and it's a vacation and, and I love that idea of playing with space and emotion around a holiday where you want to just put a happy face on and and be in this place that you associate so many of your best childhood memories with but coming at them with like adult heartaches and very present realities that it's uh, and stressors and so it was fun to have Amy and Joe's cousins as sort of that representation of the people who are there just to have a party and poor Amy has to kind of <laughs> suffer through um and so yeah the scheduling came the scheduling from the book came from there like figuring out what would happen each day as I finished Monday I would literally type like count how many words and then figure out what out what that meant for seven days and like backing myself into like aiming for like 300 pages, like very um, like almost clinical and how I approached that. And then um, for the writing perspective too, like since I knew I only could write on Saturdays, I, it was June, 2020. And then I just decided like, I'm going to be done by New Year's Eve and like send my agent the draft then no matter what. And I think because I hadn't read I hadn't tried to write a book before too. I wasn't really sure if this felt safe or exciting or what. Like I just was like, wouldn't that be nice? Like, no, I'm done at the end of the year. And I 
one time read a very embarrassing Instagram like meme that changed my life, which was <laughs> that like self self discipline is also self care. And that was like the whatever I needed to hear in that moment has really stuck with me. And but that's like how I got through it. It's like I just really committed to those weekends of of writing. And if I was going to write a book, I just knew I had to be very disciplined and, and commit to it and led by my own anxiety of having set the deadline and not, what and not the stakes. Also, it's so funny, like couldn't have been lower because I didn't tell anybody about the book and it was always a hobby and a passion project and not, you know what I mean? Like it was so, it would have been so fine if like January 1st rolled around and I would, had only written even one chapter, but it, there was just something in me that was like, nope, this is what I want to do. And God damn it, we're going to do it. It's going to happen. Um, and then, yeah, it's just been, it's been sort of using that from there. In my book, my second book, which we finished the draft of is very similar, sort of like I thought about an idea and then I thought about how I could use structure to help it. It takes place over like three weekends. And so I was like, all right, how do we use those weekends to get you to 30 chapters total? So like 10 chapters a weekend, like very like down the science of like so how many like pages should each chapter be like all of the things um which is maybe like not quite as romantic uh as other like writing processes are like I'm so curious how you guys find yourself drafting but I think because it's always such a set day that I can write and if I don't get those words in that Saturday I can't write again for six more days that I I think that sort of fuels me to be like all right the machine's coming out (laughs) we gotta get it done I I I'm living for that idea. Yes. <laughs> like picking a day that worked for you, like my day would probably be Sunday. And then mm-hmm. kind of taking the week and recalibrating and kind of reassessing and prepping for the next week. Oh my God. <gasps> yeah. And like when you're on the set, like I take the subway to work and like I always have a notepad of like little character moments or like little colors. Like I can't get that. I don't open my Word doc until because I'm not a night writer. I will never wake up early to write. It just, I just know myself too well. <laughs> That's not going to happen. And so having those days, but again, you know, that's such a privilege to be able to say like, no one bothered me for like X amount of hours. And we moved into a second bedroom. So, cause now my husband graduated business school since this time, but I've been writing a second book and every, everybody's like, Becky, what do you do now that like Zach's home on the weekends? And it's like, Oh, Zach, my siblings babysit Zach and like take him. Like we have a rotation of who has to get him out of the house on Saturdays so I can write. Thank That's Zach. amazing. Leave. <laughs> so funny. I love that so much. I just listened to that whole thing like in awe because I I wish I could be that disciplined and that much of a planner. Um, like my process is like the opposite of yours. It is just sit and go and create chaos. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's so true. So it's such an interesting like process because it's the craft in general because it's just so specific to each brain and like whatever works for you like it works like your guys books are amazing and so it's so yeah it's just one of those funny funny things and I also always realize too like after you have the book there's no like asterisk on the back that says like well Becky wrote this six months of Saturdays like un- like punctured <laughs> you know what I mean it's like who cares like that doesn't help me at all <laughs> it's sort of like, I actually too it's like I realized I only ever wrote the book and like con like consecutive days over like that last winter break like right before I finished the first draft because I 
had got, I was closed between Christmas and New Year's Eve, like my day job. And I got a hotel room at the Hawks in Williamsburg because I was like, I cannot, it was still COVID. I, if I have to look at this apartment for one more day, I'm going to lose my mind. Mm-hmm. And so I gave myself a mini writing retreat just to get it done. Um, but it is, it's so, yeah, just, it's so interesting what works for certain people and just, you know, keeping it feeling like fun and fresh to, to it all along the way. I love that. And then keeping that writing retreat for the end, it's like, you already know the book is going to work itself out because you're at the end. So like, yeah. get, take and I feel like that last, I don't know, 75, 80% is like the last big push because you've already done so much work. So treating yeah, yourself, that like, was a, that's cool. That's a good idea. Yeah, do it. It was so fun. That was part of that was sort of probably the the easiest to write too because exactly it's like you know I knew where it was going and I had sort of outlined it I just had to like turn off my wi-fi and close yeah. you know lock the door <laughs> and like Becky you were finishing this book today it yeah. has to happen and then we did yeah writing the endings for me is like one of my favorite parts also because in romance typically that's when all the banging happens but yeah. um also because <laughs> because I don't plot. So when I get to that 50k words, usually, usually I know what's going to happen after that point. And so I can typically bust out like my last 30k in like a week or two, because I just know where I'm going to go. And so I just am like, and all of a sudden, yes, that's amazing. Oh, that's so fun. I love that process. I'm already like my mind is stuck on that that you don't plot. <laughs> we have to have like yeah. an hour long separate conversation about your all the craft because it's so it's just fascinating to me. There's so many different ways to write a book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um I've talked about this before where when I was writing just my type, um, I had to write an outline for my publisher. Like they had to approve it and you know, I had to go mm-hmm. through all these things that I hadn't had to do before and it totally fucked up my brain. And I was like <laughs> I don't know how to write a book anymore. Um, But like, there's so many times when I'm like, I wish I had outlined this and I knew what was going to happen. But I just have realized that that's not the process that really, truly works for me. And I think that's what's fun about writing like later books is like, you really know how your brain works at this point. And also now, too, I'm lucky enough that my editor knows how my brain works and kind of is like, trust. Do your thing. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's so fun. But I do still wish for the discipline. <laughs> I know, I know. You don't need it. But... <laughs> I do feel like it would sometimes make my life easier, but chaos reigns. <laughs> yeah, there's beauty in the chaos. There's definitely yeah. so much beauty in the chaos. All right. Well, I know we want to, um, we have a bunch more things to talk about because we have so many interesting things we want to hit with you. Um, and we've talked a little bit about your day job a little already. And every writer listening to this is like, yes, please tell me everything you know (laughs) about the book to movie process, which of course is another one of those things that I'm sure looks different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But can you kind of give us the overview of like how that whole process works? Uh, It's such a fun, like strange little world. I had, that was my first job. I graduated college. I moved to LA and I worked at WME William Morris Endeavor in the mailroom first, waiting for a desk to open. At the time, there was in the book to film department. At the time, there was one agent who 
did books to television specifically, and I always loved TV. Um, I love movies and TV, but I've always loved uh, television more. And so I waited for her desk to open, and then I got the job, and I worked for her for about six months. Uh, and at the way it worked at WME, and then then I sorry, just compobulated. Then I worked for the department head who ran that like books to film division. And the way it worked at the time was that the publishing agents who live in New York often, and at least the WME, the book department in New York, would sell their authors' books to editors, the process that we all know and well and been talking about. Um, but then they would basically just forward along their books to LA, and then those agents would read the books, figure out which felt the most filmic, and then sell them to directors and studios and producers and actors and all of all of that stuff. And so I was working in that latter department, and it was really fun. It was so it's such a challenge. You have to know, be so well versed in both industries and really know what's happening in publishing, but also what's happening in both film and TV. And then there's podcasts that were being sold, and there's always plays that could be sold. All these dramatic, what's called like dramatic rights. And it was really fun, and I really enjoyed it. But I quickly realized that I wanted to be the person who was in that next step, which is when you sell the books to like the production companies or the directors or the writers, who then start to develop the takes and there's so many ways that could happen from there. The books, what first happens is like the book gets optioned, uh, which basically means you give the rights, like the person you're giving the option to. So whether it's the directors or the producers, the option to work on the book for a year, which means no one else can work on it. And, and they'll go through many different, different steps of finding a screenwriter. And so sometimes the authors are involved. Sometimes the authors are not involved. Sometimes they have final say sometimes they don't the range is so is so varied sometimes what's fun is you put the author with a more seasoned screenwriter and they'll develop a take together or they can work on it together um and then it's just as funny because there's so many different things that can happen in the film and tv land too of first you let's say you sell the book to a production company like where i work and then we find a book we find a screenwriter to develop the TV take and it can be something that's really similar to the book or it can be a total just jumping off point and it's just a character or a theme or a special place or a rule or whatever it is um and then you pitch it around town if, if, if that's the course they take to studios or to networks and all and then you need the green light and the actors have to sign on and the directors and all of these steps which is why it takes so long to make a movie sometimes because there are so many people that need to say yes and the first thing I noticed that was so interesting about publishing, which is, yes, of course, you need to get your agent when you query, and then you need to have an editor to buy the book. But once the editor says yes, like, it's a book. And I remember being like, wait, are you sure? Like, there's nothing else. Like, my dad was like, I don't want to tell anyone. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure, like, the book's going to happen. Like, we're not, like, you know, like, the actor can't sign off. Like, there's not going to, we're not going to lose someone the day before and the filming shuts down, all of these crazy things that can happen in show business where in publishing it was sort of yep all right now it's a book because it's just a different you know more streamlined process um but it's a really fun I was saying like Sister of the Traveling Pants is, was my favorite book series growing up and that was the movie I remember seeing it in theaters and being like that is what I want to do is like be the people who make books into movies because I love and this is like a good segue we want to talk about Daisy Jones because that is like my favorite recent example of a series that I found myself grinning like before the show even began like we turned it on and I saw it on the Amazon Prime homepage and I was like I already love it like there's the familiarity that comes mm -hmm. with things time with characters in your head and I always loved 
how it felt like a game of telephone almost of an author can write this scene or these characters and then it connects so deeply to a producer or development exec that they see it in this other way and then they bring in a writer to like tell the same story but to tweak it with like their own like heart and motivations and warmth and then it turns into a final product and I loved how one story could be so powerful that so many people were like let's see it and all these different mediums and so for Daisy Jones it was like everything and then of course like how lucky are we that we then got like three people fashion line and like to have them making TikToks all day long and you're like this is a movement and I'm so ready for it (laughs) and interestingly a friend of mine who loved the show by the end but the first few episodes she was like Daisy is so annoying like something Simone finally like not a spoiler but like kind of puts her in her place a little and I feel like spoiler is fine because it's been out for a while Mm-hmm. but my friend was like thank god someone said that like she was really getting on my nerves and I was like you're not wrong like she's so bold but I would never have said that about Daisy Jones because I already love her because I read the book and she exists already as my friend <laughs> I already feel like I know exactly who she is that I started the show with such warmth uh, which is just a rare feeling to get to feel like you're almost visiting old friends even though it's a new show so yeah did you guys like yeah. it isn't it fun I loved it. And I, so I read the book, but I read it a long time ago. And like, I definitely remember reading it and enjoying it like pretty close to when it came out. Um, But I hadn't reread it since then. And so like plot points definitely didn't stick in my head. Um, So I know that there were things in the show that were different from the book, but like that doesn't usually bother me that much Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like the feeling is more important. And um Daisy Jones really, for me, I was like, books need to be series. Mm. And I do love many book to movie adaptations, but I think like, had this been a movie, there is no way that you could have captured the depth Mm -hmm. of these characters in, you know, even if you went long and had like a two and a half hour movie, like that's not even close to what we got. And I... I think I told Courtney this already, but like my absolute favorite part of the show was the first time that Daisy and Billy sang together. Yes. Like I, I had goosebumps, like for oh, real. Wow. Like I, I have them right now, even just yeah. talking about it. It was like so magical. Like I went back and watched that like last, you know, 20, 25 minutes of that episode, like four or five times. It was so brilliant. So brilliant. And that's that sense that you, that it's so additive on when you get to have these adaptations that Mm -hmm. are so fun. And I maybe am a bad critic in that. I don't really, I think working in film and now having become written a book has changed how I consume in that. I'm definitely still critical and if I'm enjoying something, but I think I'm much more prone to just be, it's interesting that my company, we talk about this a lot where like, if we just don't, we never really approve of like disparaging a movie because even if it didn't work for you, but people put, they went away from their families and they were on set and they were working a lot late hours to make something that we can just like turn our brains off and put on TV and like bring joy. And so I, but I'm particularly not critical when I watch book to film adaptations because the whole point is that something's going to change. Like it's really such a bonus to get to have time to live with these characters again, if you love them. And also such a, a treat to get to connect to new audiences 
for Daisy Jones, it's for people who aren't readers, who haven't spent time with Taylor's books. And so I was, my one sister had texted me like, oh, I don't know. I just feel like I like the book better. And I was like, that's not even a question I'm asking. Like, I don't even entertain the questions, even though it's so valid, but they're just different pieces. And they're both Mm -hmm. just, it's such a treat to get to watch them. But that's where I'm going. (laughs) My long rant here is that it's so much fun to get to care. And a musical story to get to hear them sing, which is the really the yes. only emotion you don't get from a book. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is why this exists. And I love all the conspiracy theories about like, are they going on tour? And I'm like, I'll be there. Like, I don't care where it is. <laughs> I'll be on tour for Daisy Jones if they go. And it was just, yeah, just so much fun. Just what we needed, I think. And those songs are bangers. Oh, I mean, listen to that all day. Over and over I again. I always listen to like, um, feel good indie rock it's like a playlist on Spotify and some of the Daisy Jones songs are on it and it always just like brings me joy because it's like guys this is a band they're real they're on Spotify playlist <laughs> it's so fun oh well, I'm glad you guys are loved it also ah oh, yes did you finish it Courtney I, I haven't yet, and it's interesting because I never got a chance to read the book prior so I missed out on that but, um, uh, yeah, it, it's just a great show. And I love the aspect of, obviously, in a book, you can't hear the music. So it's very cool to see that come to life on the show. And another one that I had in mind of having that, um, like, you know, goosebumps moment of seeing your characters on the screen and seeing that adaption and interpretation of them is yeah. um, Shadow and Bone. Because I had loved Six of Crows for forever. And so seeing all of them on the screen was just like, yes, this is how I imagined it. It's very cool. And But even if it's not how you imagined it, it's still cool to see an interpretation of of the story. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And that's what, yeah. Go ahead, Valen. No, I was going to say, I think that Shadow and Bone is a good sort of example. And I think as a writer you have to kind of get this in your mindset if it ever does come to the point where your book Mm -hmm. is going to be adapted is that these are separate entities and your book is going to be different no matter what Mm -hmm. from this movie and this show like there it does not exist I mean maybe the Lord of the Rings I haven't ever read all those books so I don't really know (laughs) but that might be the one where that's like the closest to it but like It just is impossible. It's impossible for it to be the same. And so I think as a viewer, as a reader, and as an author, you have to really think about them as like, yes, these have my characters, but it's its its own totally. thing at this point. It's an adaption. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Exactly. That's cool to hear about how that works. Yeah. yeah. And it makes it fun to work into because when we read, which is constantly for what we want to adapt, it's rarely what we have what we take on are those sort of like one-to-one like thriller adaptations where it's like this plot like we love worlds where it's just maybe like a new device especially in the like ground like magical realism or a grounded sci-fi like just a concept and or a feeling and something that you run with and that's what makes it fun as screenwriters and producers for everybody to work on is like how can we grow this into something that is like really servicing its medium whether screen or stage or which makes it yeah which makes it a really fun it's a really fun day job to just get to be like kind of reading all the time talking about movies and television we love and and where things would best live amazing my film agent put it a really good way we were having this conversation and she's like I think you just need to realize that 
when somebody options your book, what they're really buying are your characters Mm -hmm. and they can do whatever they want with your characters. Like they can keep that story. They can change that story. What they're buying are the characters and you have to like be ready to let that go. (laughs) Wow. That's such a smart way to think about it. Yeah. Um, That really helped me. Yeah. I love that. That's cool. I love it. All right. We're running a little bit short on time. We've talked a little bit about your family already because yes, again, your your mother is a magical human being. (laughs) (laughs) I would go to your mom. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Um, I think I would just love to know like how growing up with your sort of large family, like not necessarily just shaped you as a person, but also shaped your your writing and sort of like your creative passions like it sounds like your siblings are also involved in some creative fields yeah um yeah so my older brother is a, is a writer so I've always sort of followed in in his footsteps um but I think because I blame being a quadruplet on anything that really I can't do like I don't drive because I was the worst at driving of my sisters so they never let me drive I didn't drive over a bridge until I like was driving home from LA to Cal to New York um we always laugh like we like to you know you're really good at sharing but also sort of like um I think having long-term relationships you're just used to like putting up with other people's behaviors because there was no other choice but then I think anyone in a big family knows like we all eat like so quickly. <laughs> you just never know like, who gets seconds if you don't eat first. And so there's lots of just, and we all talk over each other and we talk very fast because it's like competing to get a word out. And if you miss a moment in dinner conversation, tell your story, like we're not coming back to you. It's like, you have to go really fast. And like all of these things that has shaped everything that I do. Um, but I think reading is, is sort of what was the gateway for all of it because I, I've, I never liked being a quadruplet until I turned 18 and realized that it was such a blessing and so much fun to have these friends. And they are my favorite people, are my sisters, and we're fully obsessed with each other in that mm-hmm. kind of annoying way. We have a group chat that's like always going and um, we count on, I count on them for everything. But I hate it. We would not, my mom would get us in this, would wear, get us the same clothes, but in different colors. And so I was always pink and we had yellow and green and purple and we would try to match, but I, I just hated it. I didn't want to play soccer with them. I didn't want to do all of the things that my sisters were doing. I always wanted to be different. I always hated not having like the full attention and whether I'm a diva or not, like I just wanted more. And I think that's, what's kind of encouraged me to, to do different things, like to go to a different school for college, to move to LA after graduation, to work in a different field. Um, but always reading because the house is loud and I like quiet. And so I was always reading whenever I could. And so that I think is what sparked my whole love for stories and storytelling is that I just needed, I needed solace someplace else. That's like, it's in my bio of my website because it was so fundamental. Um, but now what's amazing is like, we're just the biggest cheerleaders for everybody. Two of my sisters are getting married this year. Whenever anyone has a work success. And even if it's in accounting, Amy and Kismet is an accountant. It's my sister Maggie's job. We have themed parties and we do, we do it all. And so it's been really fun to have for Kismet coming out. My sister works, another sister works like NBC and like 
her she emails her whole company as if it was like a Girl Scout cookie like buy Becky's book and everybody <laughs> got it for their wives and their daughters and like the network is massive and and now you guys are in it too and anybody we're really so supportive and so welcoming because I think family is, is like all of our priorities but what we mean by family is like ever expanding to include all the friends all of the coworkers, Aww. all the college friends. And so that's probably the best is like this Chelsea network that we've amassed and are again, always growing um, has sort of changed everything. Oh, I love that. And now you're in it. You have no choice. My mom will be buying both your books. Oh, <laughs> my, my, if you come to New York for events, my sisters and I will be in the audience. Like we don't miss a thing. Oh. So you're in it. Whether you want to or say- not. I'm going to be in New York in October. So I think we're going to have to get together. We have to hang out. I'd love nothing more. Sounds amazing. I love it. Um, And when you come out to LA, you'll have to let us know. Yes, definitely. As soon as I get the new LA date, I'm emailing you guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right. So before we say goodbye, can you please, um, can you tell us where we can find you online so everybody can keep up with you? Yes, I'm at Becky Chalson on Instagram and and Twitter. And I am on TikTok at Becky Chalson Books. I'm trying my hand at TikTok. I can't promise anything good, but I'm having fun with it. (laughs) Somebody does too. Oh, TikTok. So hard. (laughs) So many feelings about TikTok. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been an amazing conversation, like delightful and educational. Yes. Love it. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. to have you. Thank you guys. Thanks so much. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K, K-A-E, on all social media platforms. And you can find me, Fallon Ballard, at Fallon Ballard, everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes. And a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time.